What a joy it is. What a privilege it is. Um, I want to share a word from you from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 and 25. And I want to thank the AV booth, and I want to apologize first because I sent you a whole different outline. And I felt the Spirit of the Lord uh, just lead me in a to- to- totally different direction. And let me tell you the story before I read the passage. So like about four weeks ago, I sat down and said, you know, I'm going to prepare this message. And I picked on a message to study the passage. And I hashed on the outlines. And last night, till late till the last night as well, I was like, this is all worked out. I think I'm ready. I got home. And I tell my wife, um, and, and she's like, what are you going to preach on? This is what I'm preaching on. She said, huh, what's the theme? The shift. Okay. I think you should preach the other message. And I'm going, no, you're, you're not hearing from the Lord right now. I am hearing from the Lord. I've been preparing for this message for four weeks. And I got up this morning and drove, got here, and the Spirit of God said, she's right. <laughs> not again, Lord, not again. How many times do I have to, Lord? Praise God for my wife and, and your wives too, right? No amens on that. Praise God. Let's move on to the <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 to verse 25. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. And sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord, or within the Hebrew, because he loved him. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful Most of all, because you are the perfect father of the perfect example of love. So the fact that we get to be loved by you, what a privilege and honor that is. And that we get to represent you in our peacemaking, in everything that we do, in our identity, and flows out of us in deep inside. So I pray that um, when we share this message, when I preach, Lord, it won't be the wisdom of the men. But rather, the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit is what I pray for. It is in your son's name that I pray. Amen. When the Spirit of God moves within us, man, shift within our lives happens from Monday to Friday, not just Sundays. I'll say that again. When the Spirit of God really moves within our soul, when the gospel of Jesus Christ goes deep inside It's not just Sundays. It's not just those conference great moments. It's the Monday to Friday life that starts to shift. I had the privilege of serving uh, five summers consecutively on on an orphanage down in Miami. Uh, When we visited there, there are two different groups of children there. Um, The first group is called domestic kids. A lot of children abandoned, fatherless, motherless, they often talk about their mother, mothers and fathers who are right now imprisoned and they're hoping for a release. And the other group of kids were called um, unidentified alien children. And who they were was they're, they're, um, they're not Americans. They were trying to cross the border illegals, trying to, illegally trying to look for a better life and a better job and hopefully food to eat um, and a better future. Some would cross the borders on a train from down from south on many of, on in many different ways. And some would cross the desert just walking with just some water over a month with a little sister who's four years old. They would try to cross the border, but they would get caught, and it is illegal. And because they're minors, before they're sent back to their country, they get few days here, sometimes even month, to see if anyone would be willing to adopt them and make them sons and daughters. 
It was a privilege to serve them and, and love on them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one thing that we noticed that was really interesting about year three is when they felt like the safety and trust was there, they said, you could have visitations to your your home. So where they were lodging, which was very, it was a very vulnerable, a very open experience. It was great. We walked in and we're kind of expecting um, just livable, maybe kind of low-end motel kind of experience because, you know, they are unidentified alien children or neglected children. But what we walked into was like a at least Holiday Inn kind of style, nice setup, plus a lot of perks and a lot of details that they loved. For example, we walk in, we'll see a grand piano to a group of kids who loved, who loved music, guitars, drums, and they had like a 60-inch TV, and they didn't have to throw or anything like that. They just got it for free, and, you know. <laughs> they had the latest PlayStations, Back then, Wii, Xbox, different games, they all had beautiful rooms and instrumentations. And we ha- we got, I got to have lunch with one of the leaders and asked the question, why do you have to go that far? Why is that even necessary, right? They're grateful just to be here, get food and lodging. It's great. And this is what the person said, the leader said, because we want them to experience the Father's love. Because our Father's love is abundant. He doesn't just want to make sure that you're fed and that that you're, you're just, you got a roof over your head. What he wants you to experience and them, because we might never see them again, especially the unidentified alien children, we may never see them again. And they might not receive the gospel that we preach, so we want to preach with everything that we got. So we reached out to the local churches and, and shared this vision. We want to be an expression of the Father's love. Would you donate? Would you come and serve? Would you paint? Would you donate that piano that you have not been playing for the longest time? Would you do that? And the, the local church tried to, they, they started to walk in and build a place, a haven for the children who are neglected and who are lost. That's what they said. Because when the Spirit of God moves, He doesn't just shift our identity, though that's great. He starts to shift our everyday life, and that has to be experienced. Gospel is not just a message, it's the experience of who God is in His character. There was a missionary who was working on a, on a juvenile uh, adult detention center or young adult detention center, and, and he, he reached out to a couple of local churches, and he said, I need a bunch of computers and laptops. Can you donate? And, and the you know, church leaders were questioning him, like, I don't know why you would need that many laptops for a, a juvenile you know, ministry, and, and I, we wouldn't, I can't understand. And he made this report. He said, I've been working on this ministry for 10 years. Um, people without a good past. And then now they're 21. They get released. They go out to find a job, seek a job. And most of them, they have baby mamas and they have kids to even feed. But no one would take them. No one would give them a job. Because they don't have any education. They have a record. Who wants to give them a job? So in six months, they would come back to the same place. And this missionary would go, I know you see Jesus Christ. I know the Bible study was good. I know you know the Lord. What happened, son? What happened, son? And then they would say this, I can't find a job. I want to serve the Lord. I want to live right. I want to live well. And I know there's, it, maybe it's, part of that is an excuse that they're trying to make. you know. But, but you say, missionary, he, he said, my heart broke. So what I'm going to do is with the gospel, I'm going to teach them to program and do IT. So when they head out, they head out with a certificate and the heart of the gospel as well so they can make a living. Church, brothers, fathers, sons, isn't that what you and I want to provide? And isn't that something that you and I need as well? 
Not a shift within our hearts that's great and that's a goosebump moment and that's good. Holy moments, those are great. The presence of God is great. We love that. We all love that. And and you're getting some of them right now. But however, don't we more than that? Don't we need more than that? That we leave and say, I need something that I can take away with me so my life is actually better? That my Monday to Friday starts to shift, not just my spirituality and my identity within church, but something deeper than that. You know, when we study David's life, that's what we find. That's how God works. When we study David's life throughout his life, it's been, it's been, it's been so hard. A lot of trial, a lot of wildernesses. But you'll find that his spiritual life was slowly always ascending. He loved the Lord. Nothing could hold him back. He would always raise a hallelujah in the, in the presence of the enemies, even in the wildernesses. So his life before God, his spirituality would always be in the ascension. And that would be great. However, in the passage that we read, we find that David would fall for the first time. Not a failure, but a fall is what we find. In the chapter previous to what we read, which is 1 Samuel 11, this is what verse 1 reads, and Pastor Chris talked about it briefly last night as well. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, but David remained in Jerusalem. So you'll find that before he fell and made the greatest mistake that he made in his life, that he would be missing out on his workplace. Now, we can't be sure why, Maybe he was being lazy. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe his Joab or other people, men that he really trusted in, and said, I, I want to highly encourage you to stay. We can't be sure. There are many other interpretations. But what we find that he wasn't at his workplace, that's what we know for sure. Because this is the season when kings are supposed to go to war, and he didn't go to war. And verse 2, it happened one late afternoon that David rose from his couch, not a bed, but a couch, and was, David was a man. He loved his couch, and was walking on the roof of the king's house. He was just walking. He was walking. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Pastor Chris, I so agree with you. When you see a man who's well-slept, and he's looking at a naked woman bathing, any woman would be beautiful. Wouldn't it be true? You're not laughing, but you can agree with me because you know that's true. That's what he felt. That's what he saw, and we're going to circle back to that later. But notice that the first encounter that David had with Bathsheba, it was never about, do I love on that person? Do I know who she is? It was all about my needs, my needs, my needs. And the next chapter, I'm going to fast forward the story to the next chapter. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan said to David, you are the man, thus says the Lord. Man, I want to bless you and me by saying this. May you and I have many more moments like that, where Pastor Brett, mm, probably not him, but men of God would come and knock at your door on Sundays or, or any day of your day and say, hey, I think you're the man. And you know you feel that little conviction in your heart? Man, I think he's talking about that thing that I did, that thing that is deeply in my heart. He's talking about that motivation issue that I have all the time, the issue, the insecurity the thing that drives me, that I really want to be significant for the, all the wrong reasons, I think he's talking about it without talking about it. And you feel it, and you know it. And David had that moment, 13. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's great. Man, hear me. That's great. 
where you and I go to God and say, God, I have sinned against the Lord. So there's a restoration of worship, and that's great. Your worship shifts, your repentance shifts, your heart shifts, and that's great. But please hear me. That's not where the shift stops. That's where it starts. Our identity and who we are before God, our repentance before God, only starts a shift that he wants to do in you because he wants to change everything about you, not just your worship life. He's interested in everything about you, work life, family life, and who you are deep inside. Because we'll move on to today's verse, and we'll read in verse 29. This is what it says. So there's a restoration of worship deep inside. And then David, this is what David does. Verse 29. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabah and fought against it and took it. There's a shift within the workplace. This is the blessing and prayer that I want to share with you. When the Spirit of God moves within you, He doesn't just change your worship, He shifts something within your workplace. Within your workplace, He gathered people, so leadership is restored within you. When God calls you to lead, often the enemy comes to want to make sure that you're doubtful, that you're fearful, and you're worryful. And the Lord will come and say, you know what? I'm going to restore that leadership within you. Gather your people as you've always done so. And I pray that that will be done to you through this conference as well. And went to Reba and fought against it and took it. And man, let me remind you again, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, in the springtime when the kings were going to war, David did not go. In this verse, there's a restoration of workplace that's happening within David. Maybe some of you, you're dreading to just go to work. You go because you got to make a living, but that's not where the Lord wants you to be. He wants you to be a change maker. He wants you to be passionate. He wants you to have a vision and purpose in where you are. That's why he has placed you there. That's the restoration and a shift that happens. I did youth ministry for about uh, 10 years before um, I moved on to other things, but within that, I found a lot of interesting youth they're just interesting, and so much more so. Um, and one youth came to me, and, and he, I guess in early days, um, he got rejected by many different group of people, including, including his parents. So with that, he had a deep-seated insecurity. So you know how when there's insecurity within your heart, that doesn't just stay there. It often leads to addictions. When you're wounded deep inside, it doesn't just stay there. It leads to some kind of addictions. So a lot of addictions. All the addictions that you can think about, he had it in very early on in his life, between 13 to 15. And when he was 15, he came to one of the camps, and then he gave his life to Christ. And he loved the Lord so much, he said, I, I did an altar call and said, hey, I feel like some of you are meant to give your life to the Lord and go serve the nations. If that's you, stand up. And you know, the wisdom of God is always infinitely greater than yours, right? That guy, he stands up. He walks over, and I'm, I'm talking to God. God, I don't think he's it. I, I, don't, I think he's mistaken. Can you cancel that without knowing? Like, I know he's dedicating. I know he, can you not take that? Then God's saying, just be silent. I'm like, yes, sir. Just standing there. Dedicate his life, dedicates his life to the Lord. And he loves church. It doesn't matter if it's Tuesday evening or, 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 you know, Wednesday afternoon. If anything's going on at church or if anything needed at church, he would come and serve faithfully. He was kind of like David Hermes of my youth ministry. He'll just be around and serve and he'll always be faithful. He'll do everything, anything that is needed. And after a year passes, he comes to my office and says, Pastor, I really need to talk to you. 
And you know, you, you have those intuitions where you go, this has got to be a bad talk. I don't know what this is about, but I know this has got to be bad. It was one of those moments. He walks in. He, he, he pulls out something out of his pocket. It's all crinkled up. It was wrinkled up. It was a piece of paper, and he kind of gave it to me. I was like, I don't, unless that's money, I don't want that, right? Don't give me trash. And I just opened it up. It's this report card. Report card. And it read, DD. F, D minus, F, F. Here, here's this guy serving faithfully at church. For him, his work life was D, D, F, F, D minus, F, F. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. What to do. I can't teach him anything. I can't tutor him. What, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And the Lord gave me a wisdom at that moment and said, you know, why don't you share your testimony about when you were in high school? So the class that I hated the most is biology. So many terms. I just hated that class. I didn't want to study for it. I hated it. And I, you know, I, I was always more prone to, I guess, you know, music or, or, or arts. And then I was really interested in music and sports. But biology wasn't fun at all. It's far from me. I was getting bad grades. I wasn't failing. But it was pretty bad. I didn't want to study. And I met the Lord. So what I did when I was in 10th grade, I came home. And because I didn't want to do my homework, I would sit before my piano and just start to worship God because I loved his presence, right? I would just worship God. And it was music too, so I loved it. And all of a sudden, a shift happened within my heart about studying. I was just worshiping Jesus. And my heart said, I want to study. I don't know about you all, but that was a miracle for me. (laughs) I never wanted to study biology. And I studied and I stayed up till three in the morning that day studying biology. Now, I had to contend with faith after that, following that, to make sure I get better grades. But I shared it with him. And this is what I told him. You know, a lot of other things, you pray to God about that. But about your study and your desire to study, you don't go to God for it. You take God away from your work life. Let's include him. Maybe that's you. You have been excluding God from your work life. But who is the king of the wisdom? Who is the source of the wisdom? Who made wisdom? Is our Lord. Is our daddy. Is our father, isn't he? So why wouldn't you and I go to God and say, can you give me wisdom? And can you give me enough discipline for that? Can you give me enough strength to work that out? Because I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of trying to be a peacemaker, and I can't make that happen. That person, that person, that's not going to happen. Lord, help me. Help him. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God, says the Lord. Spirit of God. One of the reasons why worship can be boring is not because of the songs. And I'm sorry, it's not because of the team. If you're coming from a different church, it's not because that house or this house has better worship. It's because your life It's not connected to what you're singing. When we just sing, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of the enemies, what were you thinking about, singing about? What was the enemy that you were thinking about? What was it? What was the presence of your enemy that is in your house right now, in your workplace right now, in your heart right now? When we connect that, how can we not get passionate and almost emotional about worship? 
How can you not be engaged in worship? Because you're pouring out your life. You're not singing a song. You're singing and transferring and shifting things in your life through your faith to worship all over. That's what worship is. If you ever find yourself being bored with worship, connected to life, connected to your workplace, declare hallelujah, sing a louder one more amen over your workplace, your family, over your spouse, over your children. Things will shift within you. Before I move to the next point, let, let me say this one thing as well. If you ever find your children in that place, man, that's, Pastor, you just read my son's report card, DDF, D minus F. I don't know where he came from. Well, I think he came from you, but praise God for your faith. This is what I would say. Be patient with him and be patient with yourself as well. Think about it. So, Workplace, chapter 11, David did not go to war. Now he's back to the war for, for, the, for the first time leading men and restoring things. How long did it take David, the man, after God's own heart, the spiritual giant that David is, how long did it take him for that restoration and for the shift? It took him at least two years. I'll say, I'll give you the number again. It took him at least two years. How do we know that? Because you find within chapter 12, verse 15 and 24, that David has one child, and that child gets ill, and he has a second child. I know I wasn't good at biology, but to me, it's very clear as well. They will take about two years. So it took him, David, between two years or plus from losing his spirituality within his workplace or your study life or your work life or your leadership life and restoring it fully or close to it took him two years. If that's true for the man of God, David, maybe it's true for your child as well or maybe longer and nothing's, long, nothing's wrong with him or you. You just need patience because God is patient with you. So we ought to be patient with each other and our children, and the people that you're mentoring as well. Restoration and shift within the workplace. Even if what you're asking is right, good, and is the will of God, demanding your timing, you know what that's called? That's called pride. I'll say that again. Even if what you're asking is right, even if what you're asking is good, right, and it is the will of God, demanding your timing or my timing, it's called pride. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself, therefore, humility, under the mighty hand of God, so that on the proper time, he may exalt you. Humility and timing goes hand in hand. You might be asking all the right things about your spouse or your children about, or yourself, but timing, leave it to God. Wait on the Lord. Let's move on to the second thing. The shift that the Lord leads us into is a shift within our family. So first, workplace, and second, family. Go back to verse 24, 1 Samuel chapter 12, 24. David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. You know what's really interesting about this chapter? You'll find this is the first verse that God talks about Bathsheba being David's wife. Hear me very carefully. They've been married legally for over two years probably. But even then, even going back to verse 15 and other verses right before that, God would call Bathsheba the wife of Uriah. They're legally married. Uriah has passed away. Legally married, the ex-husband has passed away. But God is saying, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. This is the first time in the scripture about Bathsheba. God is saying, she is the wife of David. 
And you and I have to think about it. Why, why would God say that? Why is that there in the Bible? And you'll find this to be true. David comforted his wife. I told you this, so we're going to look back to that. When David first met Bathsheba, it was about my needs. How do I fulfill my needs, my desires, my, 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 my? the first time that I believe that David shifted from that to saying, how can I comfort her? How can I comfort her? Not what, how can I get what I need, but about looking at Bathsheba, his wife for the first time going, she must be suffering so much. She lost a child and she's the mama. <sighs> how can I comfort her? And God's going, David, She's your wife. Getting legally married, it's great. God honors that. But him acknowledging that you are worthy of your spouse is a different thing. Men, we got to comfort our wives. That's where the shift happens. That's what love sounds like. Love sounds like, how can I comfort her right now, today, when I go home? It sounds like, what does she need in her soul, relationally, as the pastor has put it? What does she need in the relationship that she has with me? How can I comfort her? How can I reach out to her? There are many studies done about um, young children and, and all men of all ages being exposed to pornographic materials. All different studies, from the left to the right, all different studies. You know, but if you study even the latest study, what they all agree upon is this one thing. Over time, it doesn't matter where you come from. It could be a Christian study, conservative, or it could be liberal, non-Christian. It doesn't matter. They're all agreeing on, agreeing on one thing. Long-term exposure to pornographic material, men, their mindset about women shifts. They materialize women. They don't look at women as a being or a human being, but something. We never say that, but that shift happens. So I'm not even talking about judging about someone maybe, you know, falling to a pornographic material or something watching it here. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that there's more greater consequences within your marriage and your future spouse or your current spouse when you, get, when you expose yourself to that over time. And that is you're not able to comfort her, but you always look at her going like, my need, my need, my needs. I need that, I need that, I need that, I need that. Why is she not providing that? And the Lord is saying, when the Spirit of God moves in you, your heart, the heart of the man shifts and says, how can I comfort her? And you look at her as the bride of Jesus Christ, as the daughter of Jesus Christ. One thing that Pastor Brad taught me without teaching me, because I was just taking notes, this is what he said. When I look at my church, I always look at it as a bride of Jesus Christ. When I look at my spouse, my wife, I always look at her as the daughter of my father. I said, that's so good. Took notes. Bride and then daughter, and the daddy's watching 24-7. Gosh. There's a great revival in the old days. You know, when we, when we used to have the church in America, it used to have great revivals, right? They go all night and pray all night. And one of the stories that happened, uh, there was an elder in the family, and there was an elder, there was a pastor in the family, and, and they're preaching, and they're, they're, they're praying the word of God. And it was a great moment. They felt like the spirit of God moved. At the end of the meeting and the conference, great revival, one of the wives of the elders walked up to the altar, altar and she had a sleeping bag with her. And the pastor said, uh, I don't know what you're doing with it. And she just 
laid it out right in front of the pulpit. And she said, I'm going to sleep here tonight. And the pastor said, no, 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 that's, that's not allowed, and that's not, you should go home and sleep. And this is what she said. You know, and when I look at my husband, he's such an angel, praying the heart of God in a holy prayer in this revival. That's great. He's the elder. He's the leader. Great. But at home, he's like a devil to me. So I'm going to stay here where he's an angel. Man, you know, this story rings true in so many ways, unfortunately. God needs to shift our family life. And what we mean by that is our hearts. We look at our wives and said, how can I comfort you? How can I comfort you? What can I do is the right question. What is harder? Dying for Christ, murder, dying for Christ, physical death is that what I'm talking about, or obeying Christ. That's, it seems like such a stupid question, and I, I guess I got that from one of the youth, and this is what he said. You know, if, if I could just die for Christ and, and make that happen in, like, in one day, I'll be happy, because I'll be in heaven, right? That seems easier. And this is what I told him. You know, if you're not obeying God right now, you're never going to die for Christ. You're going to run when that moment comes. Man, we're, we're excited about watching the movies such as, like, I don't know, 300. We're like, this is Sparta. Let's go battle, right? Spiritual battle. We all, all get pumped up about it. We get excited about it. Let's go to war. You know, I was listening to Pastor Chris. I'm like, you're right. I was excited. I'm like, let's, let's, let's go. Let's go fight with someone. That's, I think that's what you said. Let's bring the enemy. Let's go. And I'm so glad you're speaking after me, too, because we'll be all pumped up again. Let's go. Let's go get the world, right? It's great. So good. We should do that. Let's do that. However, we don't stop there. If we don't obey Christ, that zeal and the passion that you and I have, that strength that we seem to have, it doesn't amount to anything. We got to obey Christ. Obey Christ. Comfort the people that are closest to you. Finally, and I close with this. Stephen, would you join me in stage? So we're going to kind of move into kind of ministering moment for you after this point. It's finally, so there was the restoration of a workplace or shift the workplace, shift within your family life, finally shift in sonship. Let's go back to the verse 24 and 25 again. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. And here, the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan, the prophet, to name him Jedediah. The name Jedediah means the son or the person that I love the most, the, whom that, the, the one that whom that I love. So in this short passage, there are three times, repetition of three times saying, I love him, I love him, and I love him. This is amazing. Because what did Solomon do at this point? He did nothing. He was just birthed. However, the Lord looked at him and said, I love him. I love him. Let's name him the one that I love. That's the gospel message, fathers, brothers, and sons. It's not us doing anything but saying, without you proving anything or doing anything, you, just, you were just birthed, I'm going to call you beloved. I love you. I love you. I love you. It's not about what you did, but who you are right now. It's because I love you. That's why we call it Grace. And think about this from the David's perspective, right? So it took him two years to restore all these things. And you know, in the back of your minds, and my mind as well, when we sin before God, there's a mindset of like, does God really still approve of me? Am I still okay before God? I know they say it's okay, but is it truly okay? That's what David's thinking. And he has a son. 
And the Lord says, I love him. And God is saying to David, you know, you look at your son, you love him, don't you, David? You would give your life for him. He's, he's just breathing, and you love his breathing. You just love him. David, hear me. I love you the same way because you're my son. It's never been about how well you did or how bad you did. It's always been about me loving you, starting from your birth, before your birth, choosing you, saying, I love you. I love you. If today you still haven't received that love, this is a great moment. You're in a very safe environment. That's the restoration of sonship or shift within your heart. When the Spirit of God moves, He shifts everything in our lives. Not just Sundays, not just conferences, but Monday to Friday. May the Lord bless you through that word. Let's pray.